uh, reputation in our community. Uh, Larry loves pastors. He loves church leaders. And uh, he has invested in us, all of us, for a long time and been w- welcomed us. And I know, Larry, you're not from here, and but you've been here a long time. And there's been a bunch of pastors come and go since you've been here, and you've loved us. And um, uh, you don't judge us that we're not, you know, we're, new- we're newbies. You know, we all have to start sometime, and uh, you've just been so gracious. So I'm I'm grateful to be here, and I'm thankful for your church and the way that you love one another. That's obvious. Uh, and uh, the way that you love this community, it makes a world of difference. Um, if you're turning your Bible to the book of Jonah, we're back there. It's a small little book. If you need to use your table of contents to find it, that's, that's wonderful as well. Uh, you can obviously use your app if you need to. I don't know how how you do all that, but uh, you're welcome to, to to find your way to the book of Jonah. Uh, I was walking through this book uh, several several months ago, and uh, the Lord just used this um, in my life personally. Uh, sometimes when I read the Bible, I think of other people. You know, that's not so great, but I I think of other people. I, say, I wish they'd hear this. I wish they'd, you know, I wish they'd be be around to hear that sermon or read this passage. Or I'd underline something. Think, man, that'd be great if my wife would read that. That'd be super. And so, you know, I'd text her or something. But as you as you read the scripture, it really is a mirror into your own heart and uh, reveals some things. I've noticed. Um, I noticed it didn't take long in ministry that I started reading uh, the Gospels a little different as Jesus would really be confronting uh, Bible-carrying, Bible-teaching kind of religious professionals. He seemed to give them the harder time. And as I became a pastor and I carried a Bible and taught the Bible and was a religious professional, I began to ask some really hard questions about... um, if I had been around in Jesus's day, where where would we have, you know, where would we have met, and how would he have spoken to me, and what would he have challenged me in? I know the Bible, and I teach the Bible, and I make a living, you know, a shepherding people according to the Scripture. Would 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 he have been confronting me in the same way that he confronted the Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious leaders? Where would I have been? And so we uh, come to the prophet Jonah, and we find that the book of Jonah is not, the, na- the name of the book is not Nineveh, you know, it's not that, it's Jonah, uh, it's a short book, it's an w- incredible narrative, I grew up in church in Tullahoma, Tennessee, a little church called Lincoln Heights Baptist Church, I am a Baptist, I'm not mad about it, I'm just, uh, but I am a, I'm, I'm a Southern Baptist, but um, uh, most of us fuss and fight, and um, I just want you to know I'm not mad, mad today, but... I grew up in this little church, and and uh, I was I had great have great parents and a great community around me as I was a kid, and and so Jonah was a was a cartoon character for me. You know, as you as you're a kid, you read about Jonah and a, and a whale of a fish, and uh, him getting spit up onto dry land, and I knew it was real. I believe that the Bible is true, and believe that since uh, before I knew Jesus, but um, didn't really. Uh, process Jonah real well as a kid. Obviously, there's a lot to learn, and so anyway, as you come to the book of Jonah, you find out it's um, it's um, uh, as much about um, Jonah as it is in the work that God wants to do in his life as it is any anybody else. And so, I just let me ask you just this question as we get started. Now, I'll, I'll I'll talk about everyone's Wilson along the way, but really want to talk about Jesus and what He's doing in your life and what He wants to do in our lives together. And but uh, have you have you ever? Has God ever said, hey, I need you to do this? Like, uh, he doesn't say it like that, obviously. But uh, you, you sense this calling of God to do something, and you you, you don't do it. You, you know what that's like? Where you just kind of you stiff arm the Spirit of God and the Word of God in your life, and, and uh, you don't do it. I, uh, Jesus said on one occasion, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't, <laughs> you don't do the things that I say? Um, how does this happen? What what's the disconnect that the people of God, who are who carry the word of God and who uh, represent the work of God in the world, sometimes we become deaf to his to his voice in our own lives. Uh, Jonah was a prophet of Israel. He was a preacher type uh, during the reign of Jeroboam, the second king of Israel, seven eighty six to seven forty six, somewhere in there, and. Apparently, Jonah had the ear of the king. We know some history 
uh, around all that. Not as much as we'd like, but we know some history, and that he was he was able to he was he was able to um, um, you know move the heart of the king from time to time in certain specific areas. I think about Daniel in this way. Daniel was in the court of the king and had incredible influence with um, with his um, with his kings along the way, and so Jonah was in that role. And um, we would we would think that Jonah, in a in a really increasingly difficult season in Israel's life, we would think of him as one of the good guys. We would think of him as somebody we would want to follow, and that's what makes this whole narrative very difficult. It uh, creates a little bit like sandpaper in our own in our own spirits and how this could go this way. But Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Here's what he said. He said, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Now we don't know exactly where Jonah was when he heard the word of the Lord, but we assume he would be in Samaria, in the capital of Israel. We would assume that he would have some accommodations around the court of the king. We would assume that, and again, assumptions nevertheless, but, but we would assume that those accommodations were fairly good in terms of his access to the king and to people of influence. And God spoke to him there. God could have called him to do a lot of things. I mean, in this time, the, they didn't have a Bible with, with, uh, put together like this. They didn't, they didn't have, uh, services like this every week where they'd hear the preaching of God's word necessarily. The, the word of the Lord was rare in those times. And we see that in the way that uh, Israel was living and the judgment that was coming upon them. But, but if God's going to speak, if he's going to break the silence, what's he going to say? What's he going to say if he haven't spoken to the prophet in a while? He's going to say, listen, you need to, you need to speak up and confront Jeroboam. He's an evil king. That's not what he said. Hey, I need you to bring these two kingdoms of Judah and Israel together. You are divided. I don't like that. He didn't say that. That would have been a good mission. Instead, God broke the silence with instruction to go to a city to become a missionary to the place called Nineveh. The capital of the Assyrian Empire. Now, Nineveh was not only a great city, about 130,000 people, we think. Um, put that in perspective, Wilson County has about 150,000 people or so. It was also a great city, though, in its evil. It was a wicked place. The capital of the Assyrian Empire, as I said, acted cruel toward its enemy. Uh, Assyrian, Assyria has been described in this era as a terrorist state. They were... Cruel. And at this point in history, Shalmaneser III was the emperor, and he was known for torturing and dismembering his captured enemies. One practice that we know that he um, that he participated in when he would capture a, you know, a ruling king or a ruling sergeant or general in an army, he would have his um, legs, both his legs removed and one arm, and uh, shake hands with the remaining arm. With his victor as he was, as he died. When God spoke to Jonah, he called him to that people, to the terrorist. He called them to, called him to leave his relative safety and his um, secure accommodations and put him in harm's way of a people that really wanted him to be removed from the face of the earth. He called him to leave a people that knew him and respected him. He called him the prophet Jonah. You know, there's a little bit of status that goes with that when you're the, the man. Uh, back in the day, uh, pastors were called the parson or the person. They were the man of the town. Jonah was the parson. And now God was calling him to become a missionary to a people who would consider him having no standing at all. Worse than all that, Jonah later admits in this book, he says this, I knew, and he's speaking of, to the Lord, I knew that you were gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. In other words, I knew that you would show them mercy. I knew it. Jonah just didn't think about Nineveh the way that God thought about Nineveh. 
And this is our first clue that this story of God's work was not as much about Nineveh as it was the work he wanted to do in Jonah. So I just want to say three things. You said, Daryl, you've already said a lot. I want to just say three things about this passage. These two verses, we'll just pick them apart a little bit, and hopefully it will encourage you and encourage you um, uh, in the Lord today. So the first thing we see here is that that God sends us to the world by first coming to us. The text says right here, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah as a prophet. He would, he would say, we would say that Jonah was a believer. We've already established that. He was a, he was saved. He was, he was set apart. We would, in, in New Testament terminology, he's, he's, um, in Christ, we would say. The Bible teaches that in Christ, we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. We have been set apart and our future is secure. But sin still is, is present and still has an effect on us. And so there is this sanctifying work that God is doing. His Holy Spirit, I love that. I love this. Um, and the tribe I come from, we, and I know you do too, you call it the Great Commission from Matthew chapter 28. And the last thing that Jesus said is, Lo, I am what? I am with you always. So I'll never, never leave you. Never, never leave you. Never, never leave you. And we take great comfort in that. But there's also a great work in that that God does. He says, I'm here. And I, I, my spirit dwells within you. And I am not finished with you. I am working in you. I am working. We love the idea of Jesus' presence in us through his spirit. We love that as it brings us comfort. But it's also a sanctifying work, which is a little bit like a, a Brillo pad on our heart sometimes. It is this work that he is doing and that's rigorous sometimes. Here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work for your salvation. That's not at all what's going on. But he says, For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. The Spirit of the living God is absolutely committed to making you holy and making us look more like Jesus. And um, before the word of the Lord got to Nineveh, the word of the Lord had to get to Jonah. Before the gospel gets to our neighbors, gets to the nations, it's got to get to us. Before we can reach the world, Jesus has got to do some things in us. Um, Perhaps the first work of global evangelism, perhaps the first work of missions in our own community is not the unreached people groups in faraway places, but in the yet unreached darkened corners of our own heart, heart of a redeemed follower of Jesus that's not quite sanctified. Perhaps the first missionary work is the missionary work of the Spirit of God in your life and in my life. I like, I know several of you play music, a lot of you play music, and these musicians up here are just incredible. I'm always amazed. I like going to the Opry, and we were talking about live music earlier. I, you know, the, the stars, the celebrities are great, but to look back on the band and see the musicality of, of those that are playing instruments is just incredible to me. I can't do I don't play my radio very well. I'm sure glad iPhone now changes my clock automatically because that was a real pain for a lot of years. So I can't really do any of that, but I like the idea of playing music. I like the idea of it. I just don't really love the idea of practicing every day. Learning music and learning how to count and keep rhythm. I don't. I, I like. I, I, I like the idea of running a marathon. You know, get one of those little stickers on the back of my car. I like. I like the idea of running a marathon. I just don't love the idea of putting in the miles every day and every week and every month that it's going to take for me to be able to run farther than my car will drive most days. I just don't love that as much i just got back from a back uh, early september from a backpacking trip in southern california with uh, seven other guys we go somewhere every year 
It's usually a five to seven day little venture that put, put together by one of our friends who knows what he's doing. And when we're putting all this together, you know, when we're putting all this together, it sounds wonderful. The, the pictures are great. The mountains, we go out west, you know, it's just beautiful in the Rockies, the Sierra Nevadas. It's all great. But then when I'm rolling out of bed on a cold morning up in the mountains, yeah, I go to the bathroom and find some sort of granola, something to eat. I'm like, I don't know that I love it that much. We could, you just send me a postcard and we'll call it even. I'll sleep with my wife in a nice warm bed every night. We like the idea of reaching the world. We love the idea of reaching our neighbors that are apart from Christ. I just don't know that we want to do the work that it takes. 80% of Wilson County are lost. 80% of Wilson County, your neighbors and mine, are without Christ in a church. Say, Daryl, that sounds like a big number. Okay, let's, let's break this down. We got 150 residents in Wilson County. Let's say 20% of them are in church this morning, are connected to a church. That's 30,000 people. I'll give you $100 if you can find that. If you can make it add up to 30,000. I think that's optimistic, don't you? But let's just go with the 80% number. 80% lostness doesn't just mean that 80% of our neighbors are without Christ, and if they die, they'll, they'll spend eternity without Christ. And that's terrible. That's, that's the motivation of the gospel, right? To secure them forever. But lostness creates brokenness. Lostness creates a mess. Lostness creates conflict in relationships. You see, poverty, for example, is not a money problem. Poverty is a relationship problem. Relationship between me and God, me and myself, me and people around me, me and creation. Lostness creates brokenness in relationship. That's where it all started with Adam and Eve. It's not because they broke a rule. It's because they broke a relationship. And broken, broken relationships creates havoc in the, in the, in the, in the, community around us and so the seminal motivation of everyone's wilson was 80 percent of our neighbors are without god and without hope in the world and we've never had more church services and more money given and more um uh, christian uh, jewelry sold uh we don't we've never had more swag than we have now among christian kind of people we know how to vote and we know where to go and we know how to behave and working out our own salvation with fear and trembling is more rigorous maybe than we thought. Spirit-filled soul work that we would rather not do, frankly. So as we think about the world and as we Think about all that's changed in our lives. Even uh, the pace of change is crazy, isn't it? I mean, unbelievable. In the last two or three years, it feels like we're living in a different world than we were. We're not, by the way. It just feels like we are. But as we think about the world and all that's changed and all that needs to change and among everybody that's not here yet, Jonah reminds us that the man or woman in the mirror is the first focus of God's global missionary movement. I don't quote, you know, like Einstein too often. I don't know that I don't know anything that he said or did too much. Uh, but this whole idea of doing the same thing over and over and expecting the same results. I don't know if he said it or somebody other smart person said it, but we live in a church community that's very, very comfortable on Sunday. Not so engaged in the work on Monday and following. And God, before the word of the Lord gets to them, it's got to get to us. Number two, God sends us to the world by finding us exactly where we are. This is so comforting to me. It's going to be a little hard, so you have to forgive me. You don't know me as well as Larry, Larry does. You don't love me yet, so you just have to show me some grace. But this is really good. This is, this is good, but it's, it may be a little difficult. Uh, Jonah was the son of Amittai. We really know very little about Amittai. I mean, we think we know something, but we don't know a lot about where he's come from. But we do know that Jonah had a daddy, and we know his name was Amittai. 
And uh, so um, he came from somewhere. We all come from somewhere. I, as Larry mentioned, I was born in Tullahoma, Tennessee, Hartnett Hospital, 1971. Don't judge me. I'm just saying um, I was born there. I was raised there to graduate from Tullahoma High School in 1989. I was raised by two wonderful parents who still love Jesus and are still active in their church. Uh, my dad was the church treasurer for like 40 years. My mom was the, we, we call it WMU, Women's Missionary Union, um, you know, and a church clerk and all that. I mean, I grew up in church. I, I you know, they say now that um, the average church member in America goes to church about 2.3 times per month. Um, I mean, we broke that record every week when I was growing up. Like we were there three times a week, whether you know, we needed to be or not. And, uh, we weren't missing for ball or for, I mean, we, we, we were there and, um, we owned the place. Um, the choir, we had a choir loft and uh, we had this and I used to crawl under the choir loft so that I could look out these vents, you know, during, um, some services that, uh, should have been sitting where you are. So I, that's where I came from. That's where I came from. We all come from somewhere. And I had great parents. I have great parents, and they love Jesus. Um, if you're from the southeastern part of the United States, there's some, there's, well, let me back up a little bit. When you hear certain words about people, you have certain thoughts. So you, you understand Jonah, when he heard Ninevite, had some, had some thoughts about those folks. If you're from the south and you hear the word Yankee, <laughs> You have some thoughts about that. Now, if you're from Chicagoland or, you know, I mean, y'all are coming in. I mean, everybody's coming, so it's good. We love you. I'm just saying you got to know that us Southerners, when we hear the word Yankee, we have some th things to work through with you, all right? We just have some work to do. And I, and you know that, and I know that. And there's some other, if you, um, I've met some people that work at the um, a car registration place. And so when you come in to change your tags, they pay attention where you're from and, uh, you know, whether you're a blue state or red state and all that kind of stuff. And they keep a tally, apparently, and uh, find out where you live. And so um, I don't know what happens after that, but I'm just saying we all have these these kind of perceptions. Well, I grew up in a home, as I mentioned, that loved Jesus, but uh, and we never heard like any um, there was never racial slurs in my home. Like I never heard that. I never heard black people disparaged um, in my home with from my parents, but my extended family that was a different uh, story. I'd hear jokes about black people, Polish people back in the, back then. Um, I didn't really understand any of that, but we all laughed. Um, um, other extended family members would use words for black people that. We know we shouldn't use. And I probably knew it at the time, but really didn't know it. You know what I mean? So um, I remember I was in grade school. And I thought it was second grade, but I've thought about it since. It could have been a little bit later. But I had a, a PE teacher. His name was Mr. Cooley. He's the only black man I knew personally. And I remember one day uh, playing um, kickball. He called me out at first base. And I called him a name right then. Came out of my mouth. I was a little boy. I knew then the world had changed. Mr. Cooley was a cool dude. He was so gracious. He said, hey, Daryl, I think you need to sit over there on the side for the rest of the game. And I thought, oh, no, this is going to be bad. You know, he never said another word about it. He didn't take me to the principal. He didn't discipline me. But the Spirit of God, I knew, had changed me by His grace, by Mr. Cooley's grace, and by God's grace. I had a moment there that changed my life. Yeah. Place of a person's birth place where we've come from it just doesn't tell the whole story about who we are we're image bearers of the most high god all of us whatever we look like and where we've come from and whatever our social status we 
we're image bearers of the Most High God, and we deserve respect and dignity and be treated like valuable people. And yet from where we often sit, where we have a limited amount of information about a person, and we make judgments about other people. And obviously Nineveh as a, na- as a city and Assyria as a nation was wanted to take over Jerusalem and Samaria and just take over the world, and they were evil people. But not every resident of Nineveh would subscribe to that kind of plan. It wasn't helpful to the, to the Ninevites that their, that their leaders were the enemies of the world. God saw Nineveh in a way that Jonah simply refused to. There are a lot of things that are wrong about where we've come from. Some attitudes of our heart that have affected the way that we look at other people. But there's also something really important about where we've come from. And that is that God knows. He knows my daddy. He knows my granddaddy. He knows where we've come from. He knows the attitudes that are kind of been born in my heart or been cultivated in my life. He he knows. He This is the good part. He knows the prejudices and the bigotries. He knows how I look down on people who don't have their act together. He, he knows how I, how I talk about that driver that almost ran me over yesterday. He knows my attitude toward that person. Yet he still graciously says, hey, Jonah. Jonah, I'm going to use you. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to invite you into this glorious gospel work to a city to a people whose evil has come up before me. I'm going to use you, Jonah. I know all the stuff you've got to work through. I know the attitudes of your heart. I know the prejudices and presuppositions of your life. I know where you've come from and what it's done to you, but I am not satisfied with leaving you where I found you. I am not satisfied with allowing you to to wallow in that kind of misery. I am not going to let you be who you are anymore i'm going to invest all of myself in you jonah hated those folks but the people of nineveh were more than jonah's opinion of them they were image bearers of the most high god they were lost Their evil was real. Their lostness had consequences. But God so loved the world. Last summer, two summers ago now, I think. Anyway, our our family went to Gatlinburg. And in Gatlinburg, and I'll make this as quick as I can, there's this um, new attraction, apparently. It's a bridge that you walk across. A bridge between two mountains. And it's a glass bridge. That is, it's clear plexiglass, I guess. I don't know. I didn't do it. But um, some of my family members, huh? I'll talk, uh, you'll, you'll understand, like, like um, I called it the bridge of death. But my family members, some of them wanted to do it. And so while they did that, me and my son we did the Space Needle, which I don't know why we did that either, but it's shorter. We thought, well, it's shorter. It's not as tall as the Bridge of Death. And so while the girls <laughs> do do that, we'll come over to the Space Needle and we'll go up there and just sit and, you know, chill out for a minute. I've never done a Space Needle. So we get up there and there's these binoculars on a pole. You know what I'm talking about? A viewfinder. And so if you... I'm scared of heights, so I had to ease up to the viewfinder. It was at the edge of the Space Needle platform. And if you look through those, you could see the girls going up the, you could see the girls across the, across the street, behind the buildings, up on those, between those two mountains. And so you could see them taking the lift up. We watched them go up the lift, and then we watched them mill around there at the, at the, at the little center up there. And then we watched them kind of make their way back and forth across that, that bridge of death. And uh, so I said, hey, Lane, come here and look through these binoculars and you can see your mama and your sisters. Come and see. Come and see. I want you to see what I can see. I think in some way God was saying to Jonah, listen, 
I want you to come and look through these viewfinders. I know they're a long way off. And I don't know, I know you don't understand why they're making the decisions they're making. I know it looks really crazy, but I want you to come and see them like I see them. When we get close to people, we find that they're not as different from us as we thought they were, or as Fox News tells us they are, or as your social media might suggest that they are. Beauty of the gospel is that wherever he finds us, Jesus gives us new eyes where we are able to see people the way he sees people. He died, we just say, he gave his lifeblood for those people that you have a bad attitude toward. He gave his lifeblood so that those people who annoy you and vote different than you and act different than you and live different than you and think about marriage and sexuality differently than you do, he died in their place and for their sins. That they may have hope and life. But they don't know it. Because more than us coming beside them. They often see us wagging our fingers. and Throwing out bombs on social media. Like we're all something. And now there's no traffic jams on Sunday mornings are there? How's that working out? Our platitudes and our attitudes don't seem to win people over. I was talking to somebody a few days ago and I said, you know, if you're if you're selling vacuum cleaners and you're a jerk, I'm not buying the vacuum cleaner either. Like like we we just don't buy stuff from jerks. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what you're selling. Doesn't matter if you're preaching the gospel, it doesn't matter if you're giving away food. I mean hungry people don't want to take food from jerks. They'll have to. The moms will have to because they love their kids. The dads, they're going to figure something else out because they don't want to be condescended on no matter who they are. Neither do you. Anyhow, that's something, that was extra. Sorry. Listen to, um, listen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, 28. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles. The Gentiles. Uh, that's you and me, by the way. I, no, we forget that sometimes. But those outsiders, those dogs. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And what we proclaim Him, warning and teaching who? Everyone with all wisdom so that we may present who? Everyone complete, mature in Christ. How we see, listen, how we see people determines how people see Jesus. All right, last thing. God sends us to the world with a message of mercy. Here's what he said. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Now, if we just take that word, we're pretty good at preaching against evil. Like we, if we just take that and just uh, pull it out of its context, man, we can do that. We can, you know, we can preach right and wrong. Well, why would God send Jonah to preach against Nineveh? Preaching against people or preaching to people against their sin is a divine act of mercy. It means where you're at doesn't mean it have to be where you end. I'm giving you hope. I'm giving, I'm warning you. I'm saying there's danger ahead and here's a different way for you to experience life. Here's a different way for you to know the hope that is yours. Anthony Carter says the grand and gracious storyline of the Bible is God reaching down to be gracious to rebels. Isn't that good? That the whole, that's the whole storyline of redemptive history that God would reach down and be gracious to you and me, rebels, those who were once enemies of God. So Jonah's message was just that, to preach against the city, to confront their sinfulness, 
to call the people to repentance, to offer redemption. Nineveh was wicked and they're, they're, uh, they would be held accountable for their sins. But notice that the heart of God was not to judge them, but to redeem them. Psalm 67 says this. I just read it this morning in my own devotional time. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy. For you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Let the nations rejoice. Let all the peoples of the earth rejoice. Not just the Jew, but the, the Assyrian, the, 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 the American eventually. The, the, all the peoples of the world, all the ethnos of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They're all precious in Jesus' sight. For God so loved the world, all the ethnos, that He gave His one and only Son, so that whoever would believe have everlasting life. We're called everyone's Wilson, and sometimes people are talking to me say, How's everybody's Wilson going? Or how's everything Wilson going? I mean, they just can't quite get it. And I say, well, we're going to have a bumper sticker say it's called All Y'all's Wilson. <laughs> it's just All Y'all's Wilson. So that all y'all's, all y'all's people of the world would have everlasting life. So in preaching against this foreign city of Nineveh, Jonah would offer mercy and forgiveness and hope. Apparently, the city was very responsive. Isn't that interesting? I, I, I still believe that people are more willing to receive Jesus than we are to offer him. I made some post, some optimistic. I try to be optimistic on faith, you know, on, on social. I, you know, try to be optimistic and hopeful and positive. I don't, there's no, it's not really helpful to be negative on when I heard uh, Nate Bargowski, uh, uh, no, I heard it was another comedian say, my, it's a pastime of mine just to watch friends fight on Facebook. It's just, you know, uh, it's not real fun for me to watch my friends fa- fight on Facebook, however. So I try to be positive. But this one gentleman that actually I grew up with, he was one of my, um, uh, he's in my church as a, as a kid. He said something. He said, that's great, Daryl, I know, but I think God is judging America. I, I, I don't know. I don't really know the heart of God about all that. Here's what I'm pretty sure of. He's calling the church of the living God, the people of God, to repent. He, he may judge America just like he judged Nineveh eventually, but the work that God wants to do, I think, as I read the New Testament, well, as I read the Bible, is that the work is in me, not in them. It's interesting that if Jonah was to obey God in that moment. Let me say it this way. Faithfulness to God would mean that the people of Israel, his constituency, would reject him. When you start to love Nineveh, then all of a sudden, your people back at home in Samaria, they think you've gone liberal. That's what's happening. You start to you start to love those people. Well, those people are crazy. Those people are pagan. Those people don't vote like we do. Those people don't live like we do. Those people don't believe like. And you're giving yourself to them. Well, you've gone nuts. You've gone off the reservation. Can you say that? You've gone. You've gone liberal, Daryl. I got. I do have friends that think I've gone liberal because I'm. Serving a nonprofit that's trying to get God's people into the schools and around people who are broken and around the eighty percent, they they think I've left. They think I've left the faith somehow. Jonah, I think, was a little worried about that too. Gosh, if I go to there, and then those people re- actually repent, what's going to happen to my reputation? I got a book of business back home that I've. I mean, I I got to survive this thing. Sometimes it's just hard. And listen, it's just hard to imagine that God loves our enemies as much as he loves us. 
Sometimes it's just hard to imagine giving our lives for people we've been taught, whether implicitly or, ex- or, or, or explicitly, to despise, to look down on, to oppose altogether. Sometimes it's hard to imagine offering our very best to people who may never come into the doors of our church. So hard to imagine because we're quick to forget where we were. Before Christ met us. Romans 5.10 says. For if while we were enemies. We were reconciled to God. Through the death of his son. Then how much more having been reconciled. Will we be saved by his life. The problem. Is with those other people. Is that we are those other people. That is who we are. The mercy of God calls us to show the unlovables who are down the hall and across the street and around the world the same mercy that we needed from God in our very best moment outside of Christ. When God sends us to the unlovables, it is a divine act of mercy that he has on our lives that he would still use us. Remember Isaiah? He said, woe is me, I am ruined. I live among a people of unclean lips. I'm a person of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Behold, I've seen the Lord. Listen, he couldn't imagine. But God was merciful, not only toward others, but toward us. That he would allow us to embody incarnationally the ministry of mercy. He has made available through Christ Jesus. While we were still sinners, you remember that? Christ died for us. Before we had (laughs) looked like we had any promise at all, before we were kind of reforming ourselves and proving our worth, before we got our act together, Christ died for you. Someone once said that we are, as missionaries, we are simply beggars telling other beggars where we found bread. I think that's true. But we're well-fed beggars. Jesus has poured out his wealth upon us. Now we're offering out of our abundance to beggars across the street. You say, well, Daryl, all that sounds great. But I'm not a missionary. Well, that's what Jonah said. That's what Jonah said. Larry mentioned that everyone's Wilson is uh, what we're doing. And we, we do uh, believe that the church should be leading the way in serving kids and families in, that live in pockets of vulnerability in Wilson County. One in two, one in tw- one in four, twenty-five percent. One in four kids in our public schools, Wilson County schools and Lebanon schools, um, qualify for free and reduced lunch. Um, one in four kids in the wealthiest, in the second wealthiest county in Tennessee, are not looking forward to Christmas break at all. By December twenty-fifth, life is going to be very hard for them. You say, well, Daryl, we're going to give them a bunch of stuff. We're going, to, we're going to give them food, and we're going to give them a bicycle, and we're going to give them coats. We should do that. But just know by December 25th, those things may not be anywhere near those kids. So what do you mean? Well, the food may be eaten by then or given away or sold. Some of the stuff may be sold so they can pay, keep the electric bill current. Parents aren't going to be around. They're working two or three jobs. And so December 25th, what it looks like at my house, is probably not going to look like that at their house. So, well, what do you mean? What are we we going to do about that? Well, you and I are going to get involved. We often think of missionary work as transactional now, where we just take up money and we give away stuff. If poverty was a material problem, that would work. But poverty, as I mentioned, is not a material problem. It's a relationship problem. Not that they, I mean, they need, a kid needs food today if he's hungry. If, you, if you're bleeding, you need a Band-Aid, but you can't, you, a community needs emergency rooms, but you don't build a healthy community around emergency rooms. 
food pantries are important, but you don't build a healthy community around food pantries. Healthy community is built when you and I say, hello, Johnny. I'm going to be your friend. Will you be my friend? We're going to be lunch buddies. And every week, every Tuesday, I'm coming here. I'm going to mentor you. Or I'm going to help you learn how to read. I'm going to be your friend. When you get to know Johnny, you're going to get to know his family. And when you get to know his family, you're going to find opportunities for ministry. And then that's going to cost you something. The reason that we're not engaged in the pockets of vulnerability is that we're really good at writing checks. Really bad at investing our lives. Businesses, for example, are going to give out thousands, hundreds of thousands of charity dollars in Wilson County this Christmas. But if most businesses ran their business like they do charity, they'd be broke. Because there's never been more charity dollars given through churches and businesses in Wilson County now, and there's never been more brokenness in our community than there is now. Charity dollars don't change the community. They stroke our, our motivations of doing something good this Christmas. And I'm not saying those kids don't need some food and a bicycle and a coat. I'm just saying, if you're going to give them that stuff, once you give them something else with it, you why don't you give them you so that is the mission of everyone's Wilson to um, bring you into the darkest places bring your business into the darkest places bring your nonprofit into the darkest places how do we do that I'll be real quick then I'm going to pray Imagine being around a principal's ta- uh, conference room table, and uh, at that table are a couple of churches, a couple of businesses, a nonprofit. And we all look at that principal and we say, Miss Principal, usually it's a, it's a lady, but Miss Principal, what can we do this year to help you be successful? And there's four areas of impact. There'll be a student achievement. That's where the lunch buddies and tutoring and mentoring come in. There'll be staff support. Our teachers are absolutely uh, just buckling under the weight of their responsibility. Uh, they're awesome. Every teacher in the ministry I've met are just like a hero. I'm like, good night. Can I just like, you know, whatever, just flood you with flowers and candy and money. And I mean, how can we honor you? Uh, then community engagement. That's fall festivals and Christmas things that we can help bring volunteers to and help folks engage that way. And then in-kind gifts, which are food and coats and bicycles and all those things. We're good at number four, as I've mentioned. But the other ones, we're not. So good. So we give lunch once a a year to the school over here. Once a year, you drop off some pizzas and say, have at it. I mean, that's great. Pizza is better than no pizza once a year. But how about you, like, bring some good food in and serve it to them and get to know those teachers and figure out how you can pray for them and be their friend and volunteer to help them in their classroom on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So we're trying to bring the whole village around every school because we know that when that happens, We'll get to a place where everyone's fed and everyone's free of drugs and alcohol. Everyone's safe. Every kid that needs a foster parent will have one. You know, 180 kids right now in Wilson County need a foster parent. You know how many foster families that are qualified to take Wilson County kids? About 20 or 25. And they're full. So we need folks that will be foster parents and churches that will wrap around those foster families in ways that will help them be successful. So uh, we had that meeting the other day that Larry talked about. The two district uh, directors were with us, and one of them said this. He said, uh, we feed them twice a day, we clothe them, we educate them, and last night one of their dads killed himself, and so our staff's doing trauma care today. Now, at what point, at what point, when I'm new to this, so just bear with me, but at what point, did we ask the schools to do that? Is that when we started, you know, saying, hey, here's our tax money. You go do that and we'll do this. Is that what happened? At what point did we say, listen, you do that. You say, ah, it's political. La, la, la. Well, I don't know if it's political or not. I just know that we live in a community with 80% of people are without Christ and without hope in the world. Brokenness is going to follow. And the only solution is Jesus-loving people taking the hope of the gospel to the darkest corners of our community. That's where the healing and transformation happens. Would you pray with me?
Father, what a wonderful morning. I'm so thank I'm just so thankful for the local church. I am so thankful for brothers and sisters in Christ who gather and say out loud again that your name is beautiful. That you, that Jesus is sufficient. As Larry said that 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 quoted from Hebrews that that Jesus is the satisfaction. He has sat down at the right hand of the Father. He has finished his work. He has done everything necessary to reconcile us to a holy God. We have good news, but it's not good news until it gets there to the people who need to hear it. So, Lord, I pray you'd raise up a people. Raise up a people, starting in my life, the man in the mirror. Do a fresh work in me that the gospel would get into the darkest places of my heart. Peel away the prejudice and bigotry and anger and bitterness and condescension. That I'd be a minister of reconciliation. That we would be ambassadors for Christ right here in our own neighborhood. Lord, I pray that as we've spoken of and sung of the glorious work of the gospel, people, any person in the room who's without God and without hope in the world would trust in Jesus today, the Lord of their life. Lord, I pray that the rest of us, all of us, would leave here sent as gospel missionaries to every corner of this community for the glory of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You are wonderful. Thank you, Daryl. Let's thank Daryl for that word. <clears throat>